I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, we talk about family. We are family. hear about the guy who fell into the upholstery machine he's fully recovered that one takes a second but happy new year Uh, welcome to our first episode of 2020 i hope you had a wonderful new year this is episode 60 so so happy that you could join us thank you for being here let's get right into joy junk jesus joy sound effects expensive um my joy for uh, these past two weeks is that I was on vacation. I took two and a half weeks off of work, got to spend time with family, and that was really awesome. Spend time with my wife and my daughter, and I especially had uh, four days where I was just with my daughter, which was really cool. Um, And I think I shared that in the last episode. Um, If I didn't, now you know. I got to have some quality dead dead time, and it was really, really great, and um, and I'm still really just kind of reeling on that and trying to allow it to focus me and be present and really be um, saying no to things um, so I can say yes to being with family and uh, making that a priority. Uh, my junk is that, you know, it's the new year after the holidays, and so everything kind of got pushed till after the holidays, like at work, and like, oh, we'll do that in the new year, we'll do that after the holidays, and all of that's happening now. So it's been a busy, busy week back at work, but, um, it's been, it's been good. Um, and my Jesus moment is really just like what the Lord is doing in my life in this new year and kind of praying into what I want to really be focusing on personally and professionally this year. Um, and it really kind of ties into, um, what this episode is about. Um, but I would say like my, my, my resolution, I I don't have a very specific resolution, but my resolution is kind of the phrase do less. So when it comes to, um, my prayer life to really, when I'm going into conversations with Jesus, when I'm going to chapel, when I'm going to mass to really have less on my agenda of things that I need to say and do and spend more time just kind of being with Jesus and receiving because I tend to kind of turn prayer into a checklist item or like, here's the things that I need, I need you to take care of Lord. And I don't really spend a lot of time in reflection or in relationship with him. And so that's my do less spiritually, um, you know, at work, obviously, like not saying yes to things that I don't need to say yes to professionally, not saying yes to every time I get asked to speak, if it really doesn't work for my family. Um, same thing with leading worship and a lot of different opportunities I have, uh, to really be focused on the things that I, um, I really feel called to do and that I really feel like my gifts are suited for and having permission to say no to things. Um, and then um, just doing less in general day to day so I can be more like mentally, so I can be more mentally focused and emotionally focused on my family. Um, and so family, this idea of family and being present to family and prioritizing family is really kind of what I want to talk about, but also when it comes to our relationship with God, because, you know, as as humans, you know, especially if we're baptized, we are sons and daughters of God. And so he is our family. 
And is family our priority? Is our family relationship with him a priority? And is our direct family a priority? And what are the wounds or difficulties that may be there? And you may have experienced this over the holidays, like seeing especially a lot of extended family, having maybe a lot of difficult conversations or interactions or people who really rub you the wrong way or know how to press your buttons. That can all happen during this time of year from like Thanksgiving through New Year's. And um, sometimes times that should be really joyful and focused on the Lord become very, um, you know, uh, critical and, and painful and uh, focusing on things that we, we don't really want to be thinking about um, and can even be traumatic or really, really emotional. You know, they say the three things you should never talk about are um, politics, money, and religion. And yet those of us who are living our faith out um, actively, really all those things come up, especially if you're in ministry. Like if you're pursuing ministry as a career, well, someone finds that out, they're going to bring up money probably immediately. And then religion is built into that. And then because of the very anti-religious, secularized world that is in such political extremes, politics eventually gets brought into the picture too automatically. And so it, we're kind of, you know, Christians in today's culture are kind of like um, minds in a minefield for those conversations. And so it's something we have to be ready for. Um, but all of this kind of is encompassing. I wonder if you can hear my cat in the background. Uh, all of this is kind of encompassing this idea of what I want to talk about in this relationship uh, or in this episode. And so I want to ask you a couple questions um, to kind of uh, see if this is relevant to your own life. But over your your winter break, your vacation, your, you know, I don't know if you got time off work, um, but over the holidays when maybe you had a little bit more time or a little bit um, of an opportunity to really enter in or be with family um, or take a little bit of a, of a break from the routine, um, did you spend any quality time with Jesus? You know, apart from what you would normally do? Or did you spend less time? Same thing with your family. Did you spend quality time with family, with your phone away, really enjoying the spirit of the season, uh, the joy that it brings, um, the meaning of everything, like to really be together? Um, did you did you have that quality time? Did you make an effort to have it? And in, in this new year, if you've made resolutions or if you're, you're trying to prioritize different things, is your time with God and with family anywhere on your radar? Or are your resolutions all about you? how you want to look, how you want to be better, how you want to be uh, more professionally developed or educated or you know, more fit, whatever it is. Those things aren't bad, but like, are you, turn, are, you, are you putting yourself on that pedestal and saying like everything in my life that needs to improve is all about me? Because that can be really isolating. And this new year, I think, is a new opportunity to refocus on this idea of family and our role in the different families that we have. And first and foremost, that's with God. Um, you know, we're members of his family. There's a sense of ownership and identity there, but also a role to fill. You know, if a family's going to function properly, everybody has a role and they know their role. And if the dad was trying to be the baby and the baby was trying to be the parent and, you know, the sibling was trying to be, you know, somebody else, like it, it wouldn't work. It would be chaos. And so we all have a role that we need to play. And it's the same thing in our relationship with God and our family relationship as church. But if you look at God in who he is and himself, he is a family. Like by himself, because God is a trinity of three persons, three ways of being. That's what that word hypostasis, Greek, the Greek word hypostasis that translates to persons, it better translates to ways of being, three ways in which God constantly is and interacts with us as humanity is God the Father, um, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And a way to understand their reality with one another is that God the Father is the lover God the Son is the Beloved, 
and the Holy Spirit is the love in between them that is so rich, so beautiful, so deep that it is made manifest into this third person of the Trinity. And you see how our relationships on earth, when they're done in a way that that God has ordained by natural law and that he's revealed to us, if we mimic that, um, or if we follow those commands, we'll mimic the nature of the Trinity. So for instance, a, a man who is the lover loves his wife, the beloved, and the love between them is so strong and so palpable, they get married, and nine months later, they can name that love, and that love in between them becomes a person, you know? So we we model this uh, stencil, if you will, of the Trinity in all that we do, and that's really an effective idea of family. And our role in the family of God and the Trinity of God is to recognize, like, we're made in the image and likeness of God. And so if God is love... He's lover, beloved, and love itself, all wrapped up into one divine God and three specific persons, and that he is in himself a relationship and a family, then we are made in the image and likeness of love, relationship, and family. That is who we were created to be, and it's what our heart aches for. And it's so interesting, if you look around at the world, what are the three things that are most corrupted, most distorted, and people have so many diverse opinions about? Love, relationships and family, right? Those are the things that are corrupted. We have crisis of fatherhood. We don't have traditional families or family values anymore. There's so many people who are going um, without fathers and creating all of these, um, you know, patterns of behavior. They say, like, I can't tell you how many articles I've read about the tendency of mass shooters, repeat criminals, um, serial killers to when they look at their their upbringing to show like they didn't have a positive male role model in their life, uh, specifically a father, but that can be substituted when necessary, but like they didn't have anything like that. Um, and not to say that mothers aren't important either, but to say like we need the structure, we long for this structure, and in a society that's really robbed of these appropriate structures of love, relationship, and family, we see the result. We see it bearing bad fruit and making people more unhappy, more anxious, more depressed, more um, isolated than ever, even in a world that's so interconnected. And so that's really the, the, the relationship that we have, the identity that we have as sons and daughters of God is being made in the image and likeness of love and relationship and family. And so really, we really need to pay attention to our role in that. Because, I, I don't know, I've been reflecting a lot in my own spiritual direction, my own prayer, my own life, and a lot of conversations I've had lately about this idea of, like, who God is in relationship to us. And, like, when we discern or when we're praying or when we're asking God to do something, it's almost like we're just like, okay, God, I, I want you to give me the sign. I want you to do this thing. I want you, you're the one that has the power. Reveal to me your plan. And we're kind of like a victim of whatever he wants or wills or plans. And a positive victim you know, but still a victim. It's almost like we're subjugating our free will, but that's not who God wants us to be. God above anything, he gives us this role to co-create with him. Like when we model the love of the Trinity in relationships, we co-create, we make life. But even beyond that, just in our daily lives, like we get to collaborate with God. Like we invite God into a space, but God still allows us the free will to act on our gifts, to act on our desires, to act on the promptings that he gives us to say a certain thing or answer a call or respond to a mission that he's placing on our hearts. 
And so we get to collaborate with him and we're allowed to bring those things to pass how we want and when we want, whether it's for our joy or for our detriment. And he's not going to impede us from doing that. He's going to let us freely do that, even if it's the wrong thing. But even when it's the right thing, like we still get to do that. We still have a role. We have a say. We have a purpose. And we're not just a victim of like God's goodness or his trial or or temptation from the devil or whatever God's trying to teach us or bring out of a situation. Like, no, you have a purpose, a job, a role in this family. And we need to take that seriously. We need to ask like, how am I collaborating with God? Where am I in this equation? Am I just kind of waiting for things to fall in my lap? Am I waiting for God to completely change my circumstances for me to be happy? Or can I look at my circumstances and say, you know what, I could actually do this and this and this, and maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't, but I'm sure God will reveal that to me when I make the decision, when I collaborate with him and actually exercise the free will that I have to try and do something about it. But I think we we stop ourselves, and we don't because we give ourselves too little power. Um, we, we don't give ourselves the credit that God does. Um, and we don't recognize the importance of our free will. We kind of think of it all as providence or good fortune, or if I get close enough to God, I'll just be able to, to know what he wants. And then I'll be so conformed to his will that no matter what he does, I'll just be this beautiful, positive victim of it all. And I'll love it. It's like, no, that's then you're a robot. You're a total robot. Just accepting whatever he gives. You have no free will, no collaboration, no like, yes, thank you. Like I want this and I want to pursue this with you. Let's do this together and, and allowing it to empower you to be a part of it. Um, that's what God wants. That's the whole reason for the incarnation, right? That God became man to collaborate with humanity, to bring himself down to humanity's level. If he wanted to redeem us with the snap of his fingers, he could have done it. He could have done it, but he saw that modeling love, modeling sacrifice, and actually coming down to our level to show how he wants us to be in union with him, collaborate with him, be family with him, was more important, more valuable. And we, I think, toss aside that opportunity all the time. And we just ask God, like, will you fix it? You do it. You do the work, and and we'll just be... Um, you know, holy rule followers, and we'll go through the motions, and we'll do, you know, the rigid rubrics, and um, and then we'll wonder why we're not happy, why we're not fulfilled, why we don't feel you, because we're doing nothing about it. You know, we're not pursuing you or pursuing something else in any direct way. You know, we're just doing, going through the motions of the things we think we're supposed to be doing, trying to be good robots and subjugating our free will to you know, what we think sainthood looks like, or, you know, kind of holy conformity. And and that's just not what it means to be in collaboration with God. My, uh, my word for this year, you know, people sometimes pick a word for a year. Um, it'll make sense now a little bit, I think, but I didn't want to say in the beginning because it sounds like I'm trying to be super hipster, but I'm not. It really authentically was just a word that came in prayer um, when I was really thinking about this. And I was, I was going through maybe a handful of them, and this one just kind of shouted out at me, and it wasn't even on the radar. But I was like, yeah, I think that encompasses everything I'm really feeling. And it's the word compadre, the Spanish word for friend. Uh, really having that friendly intimacy with God, kind of like what I was talking about before, like I want to do less and I want to just be with him. But also compadre, like the literal meaning of that word is with the Father. That everything that I I do is not because of the Father, is not by the Father, but it is with the Father. That I get to collaborate, I get to be part of it, I get to exercise my free will, take action, passionately pursue things that God has placed on my heart, that I have an active and important role to play 
in my own conversion, my own salvation. And I can't redeem myself, obviously, but like I there, I have a say, you know, I have, I have an important role to play in that. And I can't just toss that aside and act like Jesus is going to do all that work. You know, he did all the salvific work already, but I need to do the work of acceptance and living it out. And that can be something that's so joyful and so adventurous and such a cool exploration. But if I treat it like I just have to discover as a positive victim, whatever God has already authored and written in this book, and I just have to do it play by play and then I'll be happy. It really just, to me, that just seems black and white and mundane and dry and, and not not exciting. I don't know about you. Um, I don't know. Maybe you, you like rigid conformity and being told what to do. Like, I I don't. You know, I have a very rebellious personality. But feeling that empowering nature of God saying, like, no, like, I want I want you to do this with me. You know, where's your role in this, Matt? Like, what are you doing? to be a part of this? How are you responding to this? Like, you know, I'll place this on your heart, but you don't have to say yes. And there's such freedom in that and such a deeper beauty when I do say yes, because it's my yes. I'm not just a victim of a yes that I think I should make. Um, you know, I get to make a joyful, emphatic, enthusiastic yes every time if I want to. And so what can I do to, to be more with the Father in that? Um, but you can apply this idea to any other relationship, which is why I also want to talk about family, you know, with it being the holidays and we recently celebrated the feast of the Holy Family and we look at the Holy Family, you know, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, and we look at them and I think we think that that model is unattainable, that they're perfect and we can never be like them and they never struggled, they never fought, they never suffered, they were just kind of like, you know, um, I don't know, gold dust was falling all around them and there was always, you know, happy music playing in the background and they were skipping through, you know, a field of poppies, you know, every day. It's like, no, like they lived the mess of family life. They lived the fear of having to flee to Egypt when Jesus was, you know, two or younger. They lived in fear and anxiety when Jesus was lost in the temple for like six days. You know, they didn't realize he was lost till like three days. And then they looked for him for like three days, you know, like he was lost for almost like a week. And imagine what that would do, you know, like that's, that's not a pleasant family story. Or when, um, you know, in the temple, when they present Jesus in the temple and the prophet Simeon says like um, to Mary, a sword, your heart shall pierce. Like you're going to suffer because of this kid. It's not a happy-go-lucky story. And the fact that Joseph is never mentioned in Jesus' adulthood, that he probably died when he was young having to deal with that loss, that he wept when his best friend Lazarus died, even though he was like, JK, I'm, I'm going to raise him from the dead, like after that. But, you know, he still, he experienced that emotion. And so I think like recognizing that their family wasn't this like pristine, perfect thing, you know, like, like, I don't, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm not going to say it in terms of the way that I've been really articulating it. I'll kind of, I'll kind of, um, I'll make it a little more um, palatable, but to think about this, like, you know, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, like, they were human. They burped. They had BO. They cried. You know, they had bad hair days. Um, you know, they um, sometimes ugly cried and had snot running down their face. Like, you know, they, they did all those things that, you know, humans do, you know, um, when you have those days when you're just like, why can I not stop sweating? Or uh, why does everything hurt? Or why am I in such a bad mood? You know, like they had those days. 
they had those days. It's not sinful to be human. You know, they didn't sin, but it doesn't mean that they were automaton godly robots, you know? That family life is messy. And that when we look to the Holy Family, it's not about being perfect, but it's about recognizing our role, that each one of them had an important role to play, and that all of them, their ultimate goal was to pursue holiness and pursue the will of God. And our family, like, you know, the will of God is for us to get each other to heaven. And part of that might be evangelizing and sharing with them who Jesus is. And part of it might just be listening to them and letting them know that we hear them in their pain. Part of it might be swallowing our tongue um, or holding back when we want to respond in anger because someone said something really insensitive or really off color or really completely against what we believe. Uh, But instead, we sit and we seek to understand because usually behind those types of statements is someone who's hurting and who needs attention or affirmation. And we can offer that by being a listening ear or praying for them. Uh, being being a presence there that's willing to see past all of the the you know offensive fireworks and really see the person there there might be anger or unforgiveness or resentment bitterness judgment that you're harboring in your family um, and recognize like Jesus experienced that himself like in, in in every single one of the gospels Jesus experiences a rejection from his family or a, um, a belittling because people think he's just so-and-so son of Joseph and Mary. You know, in, in Matthew and in Mark um, and in Luke, he has this experience in Nazareth. I'll read the account from, from Mark chapter 6. This experience when he goes home to Nazareth and he starts preaching in the temple. Um, and he, he goes to his native place. He's accompanied by his disciples. This is the beginning of Mark chapter 6. And he comes to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, and they said, Where did this man get all this? What kind of wisdom has been given him? What mighty deeds are wrought by his hands? So they're they're amazed at what he said, and then they say this, Is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are we not his sisters here with us? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said, they took offense at him. Pay attention to that. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his native place, and among his own kin, and in his own house. So he was not able to perform any mighty deed there, apart from curing a few sick people and laying hands on them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. That Jesus himself, he goes home, and what does he get? Not a hero's welcome, not a yes, the Messiah, come home, who we all know and we've all been waiting for. They say like, wait, we know who you are. We're going to push all these buttons from when you, you know, we're going to belittle you and, and, and make you feel small. And, and we don't have to listen to this, you know, like you're, you're younger than us. You're less experienced, you know, um, they, they kind of, they, they, they do the very human thing and they go on the defensive. And Jesus says it was, it, he, he, he wasn't able to perform miracles there because people weren't open. And I feel like that can be us and our family sometimes, especially if we're trying to live out something that's very radical, like the Christian faith, um, trying to live it out in our current culture and our current political climate, like that's pretty radical. And to go home thinking that things are going to be fine and dandy, you know, we're we're probably going to get in arguments or in uncomfortable situations. People are going to say things or even attack us, be angry at us. And uh, it can be a real easy opportunity for us to fall in the temptation of anger, of judgment, of um, resentment, of even fighting back and causing more harm, um, of kind of uh, breaking relationships and and not really allowing ourselves to recognize, like, I might just have to bite my tongue and listen to this person because they're a human who deserves to be listened to. Um, 
I think Jesus had to do that a lot. And in fact, in, in the account in John, there's not this, this account in John of him going home, but he's actually, after the, the bread of life discourse, when he's talking about his body is true food and his blood is true drink, um, the second he finishes that, he says um, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life and I shall raise him on the last day. And then it says right after that, the Jews murmured about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And so instead of refuting what he said, what do they say? Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? Do we not know his father and mother? Then how can he say, I have come down from heaven? It's just immediately like, it's, it's like the people who know you the best know how to push your buttons the most. And they're the hardest people to convince, especially when you make a huge life change. Because they're expecting same old, same old. They've known you your whole life. And people are very critical. They're very... Um, and they're very defensive or sensitive toward people doing well because then it forces them to look at their own life and ask themselves the question like, yeah, but how am I doing? And sometimes that question can be so painful that they just want to put it back outward and criticize. And we're, I'm guilty of that too. I'm guilty of, of being more critical outward because I was, I was too challenged by what someone else was doing when I looked at my own life and I wasn't willing to admit like I really need to take a serious look inside. And so family can be difficult. And so maybe this holiday season, you, you know, you, you had a really hard time, or maybe you're still harboring pain or loss or resentment or, or unforgiveness. Maybe you did something wrong or someone else did. And I just want to encourage you to recognize, like, at the end of your life, you're always going to wish you had more time with them. And that was something I got to get a little preview of when I had my four days with Hannah and, and then a whole nother week with, with both of uh, my wife and my daughter. Um, I didn't want that to ever end. And I was so emotional, so like, wanting to cry in the best way each day because I, I was realizing like this is what my life is about like everything else does not matter it doesn't like I'm happy that I have these other blessings and ways that God wants to use me but but this is the most important thing I will ever do is be family to these people and be family with God because that's the source of everything in my life and the more I take notice of that, the more that that grounds me and centers everything else I do, the happier I am, the more joyful I am. You're, we're going to wish we had more in the end, more time with them, more laughter, more memories, even more painful memories, even more difficult conversations. But if they're done with love, we're going to remember those as defining moments of understanding and bonding and ways we can really get to new places in our relationships with people in our families that, that we may be stark opposites of. We can't be victims of our family circumstances, just like we're not victims of God's circumstances. Like we have an active role, a choice. Compadre, with the father, you know, there's another reason why parent is padres, with the parents, with the family. We have an active role to use our free will to do what we can and to recognize the mission of a Christian is not to take up your fluffy, comfortable pillow and follow me. No, it's to take up your cross and follow me. That it's going to be hard but it's worth it. And the cross, that symbol of sacrificial love, that's the model for how we're supposed to live our life. It's not like everybody love everybody and hippie Jesus will make everything happen. and It'll be great. Like, no, sometimes it's not great. And the Holy Family probably didn't experience life as great. They probably experienced it as joyful and blessed because they knew the reason behind it. But they still struggled. They still were messy. They were human. And so we can't allow this idea that we're a victim of our family circumstances, of God's circumstances in our life, of our life circumstances that we feel like God's not changing. We can't allow that to create walls of indifference and anger 
that prevent us from realizing the nature of God present in our own families and the fact that we all have a role and that if we are loving or allowing ourselves to receive love or recognizing the love between us and pointing it out and calling it out and affirming one another for the loving things that we do, we're modeling the Trinity in our families. We're modeling God. We're answering that reality that we're made in the image and likeness of love, relationship, and family. So my encouragement to you is make God a priority. Make family time count. Make it a priority. And really ask yourself, what can I do? What do I have control over? How can I stop complaining about my circumstances? Because that's not, you're not collaborating with God or with your family when you just complain. You know, you're not. You can complain and wonder why things aren't different, wonder why things in your life aren't changing, wonder why people are the way that they are, why they say things the way that they do, why they believe what they believe, why God won't fix this or change that or give you this answer or show you this sign. You can wonder and complain and whine, or you can look at your life and ask yourself, am I really authentically praying with God? Am I in relationship with him or am I treating him like this divine ATM and I keep pushing the button on the vending machine and it doesn't have any more left? Maybe God's trying to give me something else. Or do I really just seek to be in relationship with him? Am I really seeing what I have control over and what I can do in that relationship? You know, relationship is two ways. It's two people. And in any relationship that I've ever felt frustrated in, the second I take a step back and say, like, okay, what can I do? Like, let's not pay attention to the fact that I might have victimized myself and feel like I'm not being affirmed or loved in this relationship. What can I do to better love the other person and better communicate to them what, what I, I'm needing from the relationship? And it always is better because I'm collaborating with that person in modeling love, relationship, and family. And this goes beyond our biological family like you probably have other families families of friendships families of workplaces you know your tribe your community your people and really ask yourself like what can i do what is my role that i need to fulfill to bring about the glory of god to answer his call in this place that he's placed me because newsflash he placed you in this time in salvation history as the specific person in your specific family with your specific relatives in your specific school or job or workplace and geographical area for a reason. What is it? And how are you collaborating with him to discover the, the beautiful fruit that can come from those reasons? I want to encourage you to pray about that. And I want to encourage you as you do to ask for the intercession of a great saint that I had never heard of before. This is Saint Francois de Laval. Um, and I'd never heard of him, but he has a very, very important role in the church because he is the person who first established a formal devotion to the Holy Family. The title that we have for Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, the devotion to all three of them as family, Holy Family, didn't begin till around the, um, the 16, uh, mid-1600s, and he was the one that started it. Um, there was some kind of like, you know, uh, lesser devotions, but nothing that was formalized until he formalized it. Um, so St. Francois de Laval, uh, he lived April 30th, 1623 until May 6th, 1708. So, um, he lived quite a long time. He died when he was 85. He was the uh, first Roman Catholic bishop of New France, which is now Canada, and the first Roman Catholic bishop of Quebec, which is where he was stationed. Uh, he was born to noble parents, 
Uh, so he had inherited all these land and all these titles, but they were not particularly wealthy, but they were very religious. Um, and I think I've said this before, like he, he kind of, he, he did honor to his family name and to what was really important. And, and, and that's part of this too, you know, thinking about like, you know, I'm a Zemanek. What does that mean? What does it mean? What do I want other people to know when they hear that name? And so you might be a Smith or a Johnson or, you know, a Rodriguez, a Sanchez, you know, like, what does that mean? What do you want people to know when they hear that? What values do you want that name, that family to instill? He, um, same Francois de Laval, he had five brothers and two sisters. Uh, one of each of them, one brother and one sister, also be, uh, entered the religious life. Uh, something I found interesting about him when he was eight years old, he took minor orders, which means he like professed minor religious vows, but he also received tonsure, which is like when they used to shave the top of your head, you know, and make you look like that, like weird bull monk haircut. He did that when he's eight years old. That's crazy. Um, and because of his status um, with noble parents, he was very well educated. Um, but throughout his education and as he was studying to become a priest, his father died and his two eldest brothers. And so the kind of pressure landed on him to kind of leave school, leave seminary and go take care of family stuff. But he, he was like, no, I'll, I'll help my, my mom with her affairs and get things in order and her finances, but I'm going to keep studying and I'm going to keep on this path toward the priesthood. He recognized his purpose and he was collaborating with God to make it happen. He did something about it. He was ordained when he was only 24 years old and he became a bishop at 36. I'm going to be like 36 in like four years. Like to think that like he was a bishop, you know, and I... I still honestly sometimes put my shoes on the wrong feet. Like, how is that possible that he was a bishop at 36? Anyways, he was the first bishop in New France, and he started a seminary there. And it was a seminary, interestingly, um, for both French and for natives. Um, and they were freely allowed to enter. Um, I just thought that was interesting. I don't know how common that was in the New World at that time. Um he founded a confraternity, which uh, ended up having this devotion, this formal devotion to the Holy Family. Um, and he served faithfully in that area for nearly 50 years. He died at 85, and his feast day is on his death day, uh, May 6th. And so uh, he doesn't really have any formal patronage or anything like that. He's kind of this um, background saint, but he's responsible for this great devotion that we have in the feast day that we just celebrated of the Holy Family, which was perpetuated later on as a formal feast day um, by one of our popes, but it wouldn't have happened without him. So St. Francois de Laval, pray for us. And our patron saint of this podcast, St. Charles Borromeo, we ask for your prayers as well as we seek to collaborate with God and to really make our family relationship with God and our relationship with our biological family more rich, more fruitful, and really see what we can do to bring about the glory of God in those places and those relationships. And so I pray that reality manifests in your own life, that you reassess your New Year's resolutions, or maybe you make some some devotions, some things to be thinking about, even if it's just like a mantra or a word or something you really want to pursue, to really let that be at the forefront of your mind, to not let it just be about you and things that are going to benefit you alone, but really thinking about how you're prioritizing the most important relationships in your life, your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with those that he's placed you uh, in family relationship with, even if it's difficult, even if it's hard, and it's at times when it seems like it's impossible. So know until next time that we're praying for you. If this really, if this episode was beneficial to you, please share it. The highest compliment you can pay to us is to share this on social media, to tell your friends about it, and um, 
we just we're so over the moon when we see that and we see it more and more and we're just so appreciative um we have i think four to five thousand people listening to this podcast every month which is incredible um i can't even believe that that has happened and we just want to continue to use this as an avenue to serve people and inspire them in their faith or inspire them to grow in any type of faith um, all across the world as long as god is calling us to do it we're going to keep saying yes and so um, please pray for us pray for jenna as she um you know continues to adjust to two baby life and hope to have her back on here soon Uh, and if you have topics suggestions questions that you want us to answer on this podcast please send them our way you can get a hold of us and find all of our blogs all of our social media if you just go to our website manafoodforthought.com that's m-a-n-n-a foodforthought.com no spaces and uh, you can support us on patreon there for as little as a dollar a month and become a patron and get merchandise when we finally finalize that uh, which will happen sometime in the future i promise and uh, please pray for us and be patient i appreciate that Uh, and you can find like i said all of our other um, you know old vlogs our weekly blog which is a psalm reflection on the psalm reading for uh, the upcoming sunday of that week which, which goes up tuesdays on our website facebook and instagram Um, so, you know, do all of that follow. And if you have not yet rated this podcast or left a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google play, however you're listening to us, please do that. It helps other people find it. Uh, and we're so appreciative of those kind words without further ado, we're praying for you. And until next time we will see you in the Eucharist. God bless.